Hello, I'm Chelsea, and welcome to This is Hard to Say. I'm here to talk about topics that are hard to say, which was originally birthed in 2020 from my lifelong eating disorder. I would love to educate people on disordered eating and also create a platform for us to talk about hard things like trauma, childhood, even simple interactions in our day-to-day life, joy, art. So this really is for all humans. And with that, we'll get going. Today, I am having a conversation with my friend Patrick Melroy. We are currently in his studio in Santa Barbara, California, called Miscellaneous Workshop. He is a local artist and a teacher. Sometimes he teaches at universities, museums, here in this space and all kinds of other places. And what else would you like to let the people know? I feel like we're in a Zoom call, even though we're not. We're not on Zoom. We're in person. It's like that hangover, though, from from a Zoom call. I'm so excited that I get to be on the microphone today and chat with you. Um, It's it's very hard for me typically to uh, listen to your show, you know, taking notes over here and 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 just being quiet. And it's not hard. It's good. I'm glad I get to have that time. But it's also fun to do this. Yeah. So Patrick is the biggest supporter of this podcast. He I record in his space. He helps me with all the tech stuff. He provides the things. And afterwards, we always have a big conversation about the topics I talk about. And so I figured this is really the best first person to have on this podcast. I feel really honored by that. Thank you. Of course. So should we dive in? Yeah, let's do it. Let's just cover all the notes that we have. We have lots of notes. <laughs> We're going to talk about some light stuff too today. We're going to okay. switch it up. Good. But I did want to open up the platform since a lot of this is around disordered eating. I'd love to ask you, being a male, how has it been growing up with the societal pressures that I'm guessing are similar, but also very different than me being in my body? So I'd love to know what those are for you. Do you still experience them? What did it take for you to find a comfortability in your body? Maybe art plays a role in this because it played a role for me. So yeah, I mean, I'll open the floor to what you have experienced. Uh, thanks. I don't, I don't know that I need the whole floor because uh, I'll just ramble on about stuff that's inconsequential. But when I think about this topic, when I think about disordered eating and I recognize it in my own experience of feeling like there were various times in my life where my appearance was very important to me and my the idea of what I was eating would be that 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 would be um, good or bad. I used to go on what they what I used to call a cliff bar and whiskey diet uh, when I would break up with somebody. Yum. And that was it was a, it was terrible. But um, all of my friends would kind of recognize that I was on the cliff bar and whiskey diet. One dram or two drams? Uh, what's what, what's a dram? Two finger pull. Oh, okay. Yeah. A dram. I think, I think what you're describing there is, is, um, did I, there were a couple bars that I used to frequent regularly and it was always like, if you're in a bad way, you go to like the triple nickel or yours, uh, which are two Portland bars. Um, because they, they, um, they have weak elbows and they just end up filling the bucket. So like the sportsmen. Yeah, exactly. Like, like those kind of like absurdly stiff drinks and, Mm -hmm. and, um, just drinking whiskey and ice, you know, like that's, that was whiskey, ice and a cliff bar felt like a reasonable thing to eat for a day. And so like, no, when we talk about like disordered eating and this idea, this, this idea of, of, of male culture, we get so many, uh, passes 
as men on, on what we're eating. And I don't think I ever, I don't think anybody has ever looked at me while and like, if I finished a plate of food and said, it made any comment on it or any judgment or any reference to what I was doing. Like, it, I don't, I, I don't hear that. I don't think about that, but I definitely recognize these various different times of, of my adult life, for sure. My adult life. And certainly when I was a younger uh, a kid, that food was a friend or foe mm-hmm. and it comes and goes. And that, that, that you, that I would be anxious and nervous about what I was eating. Um, and then very often if I, if I travel too far into the, like being hungry, um, I feel like I'm just making really bad decisions just to battle the hunger. And then I beat myself up over that. So like, mm-hmm. oh, I've waited too long. So I'm just going to go eat some fast food. Mm-hmm. And then for the rest of the day, my body feels even worse than it did before I ate it. And then I'm also beating myself up over like, oh, you're so weak. Why can't you, why can't you make better choices? You, you know, like, just go get a salad. Go, you should have just gone and got a salad. And it was like, well, I needed the food now. I needed to just eat and keep moving. Well, and also I think our parents you know, I don't mean to speak super hard on stigmas or even create stigmas, but I do think our parents taught women more how to cook and take care of themselves in that fashion. And the boys were sent out to play. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. yeah, so thank you for sharing that. And I guess my question is actually back up. Yeah. I want to speak to the comment. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've gone for seconds after recovery, because I didn't go for seconds before. <laughs> sure. I go for seconds now. Yeah. And I've had some comments. Oh, going for seconds? Wow. It doesn't look at you. Which is in no way, there's no way they could have said it that it would have been. It's just like even recognizing. Oh, are you going to go get some seconds? Mm-hmm. Or you should, you should, you know what, fill up your plate again. Yeah, I'm going to go to the buffet actually. Any way that somebody <laughs> says that. Yeah. It just doesn't. Yeah. And this is where I would love to bring someone who works with eating disorders more on the podcast and talk about what do we say to people that isn't Mm. promoting or bringing someone down? Or what do you say to someone who you know is struggling in front of you? Yeah. Yeah. Because I used to make comments that was like in the red of, oh, she has an eating disorder. She's not okay. Mm. Comments such as like you would make to other people. Yeah. Mm. How do you stay so skinny? Oh, sure. How do you eat that and keep up here? How how are you able to go out to eat? Things like that. Like I would ask people those questions, which is, you know, part of me is like, wow, that's I'm ashamed of it. And part of me is like, that's very real. And I'm not the only one. Yeah. I have countless cringy moments in my history where I have made comments to people, typically female presenting people about eating, about quantity of eating, about, or about appearance. Like I have a super cringy one, uh, about a friend who had a baby and we were like all at the lake and I made some, I was trying to make some kind of like, wow, I can't, it doesn't even look like you had a baby. And it's like, what's that? What, what, what does a person who has had a baby look like? What's the up or down look on that one? And I like, I just, buried my head in the mm. sand after that. Cause I was just like, what was I thinking? That was such a, such a blunder into trying to say to somebody, Hey, I think you look, you look so healthy right now. Mm-hmm. And yet what a stupid mm-hmm. inconsequential. And I thought, and I only hope that that person has completely forgotten that I was speaking to them. That's mm-hmm. all I can hope for. <laughs> Fingers crossed that one didn't land the way I have certain comments in my head. I mean, it's, amazing that you're willing to sit here and look back and think that wasn't okay. 
Because a lot of times, sometimes we just say stuff and we're like, oh, backtrack, let me rewind. And you can't rewind. All you can do is say, you know, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah. Take responsibility of what I said. Yeah. So we've all made those comments. It's, I mean, I still hear comments today about my appearance and I still catch myself saying comments about other people. And really, I find that I've see a friend that looks glowing and happy. Yeah. And I want to say something because I'm like, wow, I can tell in your energy that you're stoked right now. That, that sounds, that sounds great. I think that's great because you're not identifying their physicality. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you're not identifying um, a comparison of their physicality mm-hmm. or you're not, you're not identifying, you're not saying, uh, what's that thing? Like a, a most improved award. You're not giving them a most improved award, mm-hmm. but yet it's so, tr- it's so, it's a tricky path to walk Yeah, because it is, it is intent and it is reception. I've got, you know, story after story of being a chunky kid, chunky, what a word. Um, and having these kind of moments of, I was, I, I got into in junior high, I was a wrestler. And so if you want to talk about like constricting mm. your, your diet for no good reason. Right. And then, you know, not drinking water. What, what is it? You don't drink water like the day you're going to wrestle because it, it, it yeah. yeah, that, I've spoken to a lot of wrestlers who have come out of that and just been like, I for sure had an eating disorder. I purged. I restricted. Every wrestler who, every, anybody who's ever participated in wrestling, it would be hard to convince me that you participated in wrestling and you didn't have uh, some disordered eating because the, the, the coaches insisted on it. Like you have to cut weight. If you're cutting weight, then you are wrestling somebody who is smaller than, it was such a mess. This idea that, you know, like I weighed, I would weigh in at like 158 and they're like, you have to cut down to 148. So it's like, you got to cut 10, 10 pounds. pounds in two days. Yeah. And it's like, you know, trying to get down there was just impossible. And, and I can't imagine. No. And, and in high school, like, and also, I mean, like I, you, some of your stories are so interesting. If you haven't listened to them, go back uh, through this, but like, you know, we, we were latchkey kids. We'd get home and have to make our own meals. And like that, that, that was a can of chunky beef stew from Campbell's. Mine was cookie dough, frozen cookie dough there a lot go. of the time. Yeah. You know, we had a microwave. That was, that was the, cookie, Oh yeah. You know, frozen pretzels. Yeah. Yep. Lived yeah. off those for a while. Hot pockets. Yep. Yep. Hot pockets, Tostinos, pizza pocket, yeah. pizza rolls, wow. all Crazy. that stuff, all that manufactured food. Like, mm-hmm. and you look at the calories and you look at the balance. I still struggle. My wife and I will, will kind of go back and forth about, she's like, oh, we're going to have a vegetable with this. And I'll just be like, oh yeah. Like there's like this hole in my, there's a blind spot in my, in my cooking that's around vegetables where it's like, oh yeah, mm. that's just the thing that we include, but it's not, I don't treat it like the celebrity that it should be, or I don't, you know, I don't mm-hmm. emphasize it because I didn't grow up. We, we, we had, we had canned beans that were gray and we had uh, weird uh, overcooked broccoli, mm. you know, and stuff like that occasionally. But for the most part on a, on a daily basis, we weren't, we weren't putting vegetables in our bodies. No. And it doesn't make them tasty either. Yeah. No. Cause you're like, why, why would I cook broccoli when I used to eat them, eat them overcooked and they smelled like farts? Well, and we, yeah. And we didn't have olive oil. Like we didn't know what olive oil no, was. No, it was like seed oil or vegetable oil. Uh, what, what was it? It was Crisco. blue. Yeah. Crisco. <laughs> Crisco. It's Crisco. Oh man. Yeah. Like butter. Yeah. Butter exists. Yeah. How amazing. <laughs> You just—that was a beautiful pause for butter. Butter. Hmm. <laughs> I just bought stickers that are literally a stick of butter, mm-hmm. and it just says butter. Nice. And I'm like, this is literally how I live. Like, I freak out about butter. 
My mom had a philosophy about, or a, a rule about butter. It was the butter rule. You end up a pound and a half of butter per person in the house at all times with a one pound kicker. What's the one pound kicker? That's like, like a an, backup? And that's an extra, yeah, it's an extra pound. Well, I like your mom. Yeah, she was great. <laughs> but the, uh, but that didn't mean she understood vegetables. I mean like. Right. Well, also where you grew up, what you have available, resources are a really big yeah. part of this topic. You know, not everybody has availability to go to the farmer's market and spend that time or money on shopping well for themselves, you know? It's just, it kind of breaks my heart a bit. Yeah, we had one grocery store. Mm-hmm. It was Fred Meyer's. That was the only grocery store we ever went to. And uh, no, yeah, when, when you when I look back, when also we were like extreme poverty, like we were a single family, a single income family with mm-hmm. you know, three kids. Mm-hmm. And we remember, my brother and I still talk about this, about uh, going on the first of the month with a hundred dollars. That was the food budget for all four of us for the month. And that's, that's slim. Yeah. Mid eighties. Like it got us there. Right. But you're eating a lot of starches. You're eating a lot of like, you know, processed Mm -hmm. food because the the inexpensive stuff. And my mom knew how to make better and more stuff, but uh, access, but having access to it and, and, and working, you know, enough to pay for our lives, which is tiring having three kids working. Mm -hmm. Like that's a lot. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are in that position. Yeah. (laughs) Still. Yeah. Well, I wanted to also ask about Henry. Oh yeah. So you have a little girl. Yep. Five and a half years old. Tell us about what is that? Like how has disordered eating and your knowledge of it kind of affected your ability to dad? And how do you like, how do you foresee navigating those waters? Uh, Terrified. I'm terrified as a, as a dad who has seen disordered eating up close. Um, I'm terrified of what the world is going to show her and insist upon and like convince her of. Um, I think she's, I think she's super intelligent and very, she's very good at navigating her world. So I have a lot of confidence in that and where she's headed, but I am not confident uh, as to what the world is going to do to her and what they're going to, what they're going to encourage her to do and what they're going to inspire her to do. You know, we, the, the princess motif. We didn't push for, you know, we always, we didn't, we didn't, um, reject it and we didn't like exclude it, but we didn't push for it. Like we didn't, we didn't buy a ton of pink stuff for her and we didn't, we didn't show her a lot of princess movies and stuff like that. That just wasn't a, that wasn't a narrative that we were super interested in. But the moment she got into school and kind of got cognizant mm. of what was around her, you know, the princess narrative began mm-hmm. and, and we've shifted it into kind of hopefully into the, the bolder, um, more dangerous princess, like the princess who can do things that. Like that, the samurai princess. Yeah. Well, like the, the, the skilled princess. Yeah. Um, th- not the princess to be rescued, but the, the, the princess who leads the force or, you know, negotiates the peace or things that are like more sophisticated, Mm -hmm. but that hasn't shifted the fact that like all of the costumes and all of the language around princessing and what people say to her just when they see her. Oh gosh. Isn't it crazy? It's crazy. I kind of am am blown away just watching my friends with children and how many people make comments that are so gender related. Yeah. Like societally gender related. Well, and what she looks like, you know, they, they, they mention what she looks like a lot. And that's intense. Like give, give maybe one or two examples. What, what do people say? Oh, um, yeah, just look at, look at that blonde hair. Oh, wait till she's 14. She's just going to be what, what's she going to be when she's 14? You know, like, what are you going to have to do when she's 14? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that (laughs) stuff constant. There's the constant thing about just like, oh, you're going to your dad, you need a good shotgun. And I always just like, well, like not ready. (laughs) It's not even, well, they'll say that like, oh, you're not ready for the kind of trouble she's going to give you such. And I'm just like, no, she won't like, no, no, that's not the relationship I'm going to have with her. No, that's not the relationship I'm going to have with the partners who she brings home. Yeah. The relationship I intend to have. Yeah. Forging new pathways for 
your family and how you interact with your daughter, which is so cool. I'm really, she's really important to me and I'm really thoughtful about it. Mm -hmm. And I, and I don't want to just default to, I think she's going to be visually, aesthetically very appealing uh, to people. Mm -hmm. And I, and I want to make sure that I empower her not to rely on that as the way that she navigates the world. Right. Like rely on her personality, her skills, what she's into. I mean, she's already into so many art forms, just hanging out here with you and you being an artist. I mean, that's, I'm trying to sow that those seeds, you know, so that, so that when people say like, Oh, wait till she's 14. And I'm like, yeah, the graphic novels she's going to be creating that are going to be awesome, you know, or, or the short films that she's going to want to do, or the dance recitals that she's going to be into, or the, the swim team she's going to join, whatever, whatever she's, whatever direction we, she ultimately kind of ends up. It's not going to be, oh, well, when she's 14 and she's dealing with, you know, all of the pressures of who she's going to date and how she's going to define herself by her partners. She I, may not even be thinking about that at 14. Oh, I so hope. I, I, I so hope that that we give her enough things to be excited about rock climbing mm. or hiking or riding a mountain bike or wh- whatever, mm-hmm. whatever there is in the world to physically interact with. Well, and kind of fill your cup, right? Because yeah. otherwise it's like people are looking for others to fill that cup. Yeah. And she's getting a lot of that from you and Courtney, like as present parents. Thanks. Yeah, I hope so. I think many of us and I think I think many people listening to this might might relate to like those junior high and high school experiences and what it what it felt like to look around the class and look around the 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 your cohort your peers and to identify the people that were in charge of things the people that had authority and the people that were powerful typically had the bodies and the physiques and the and the faces and the clothes and the hair that looked like uh, what was in media what what was in a movie what was on TV what was you know what was influencing us at the time music and all that I think that like in in hindsight in looking back at that those people weren't more interesting or they weren't more capable or they weren't more anything. Mm-hmm. The the more they were was is that they had access to resources. Right. I was going to say it's who they know, what they what they had access to and we are such a physically forward society. Yes. yes. Having parents that were coaching them along the way and, you know, putting them into situations where they were able to be physically fit mixed with like, you know, comprehensive diets mixed with like not poverty eating. And I mean, I'm talking poverty eating, like when I was wrestling and it was like, how do you, what kind of meat, what's a meal? And it was like two slices of bread, two slices of bologna and mustard because there's no calories in mustard. Right. Mustard's yeah. Just a non- lettuce. A, you could add lettuce. There's can, no calories in lettuce. Just, just flavor there. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then this, like, this was all pre Atkins. Like nobody, it didn't occur to anybody to say that white bread was like something you shouldn't, you shouldn't cut carbs. It was more just kind of like, don't cut. It was fats. We were told not to eat fats, fats and sugar, which is so bizarre now. That is so, I mean, you just, you just <laughs> made me remember when I was 20. Yeah. Two, working at the Long Beach Trader Joe's. Mm-hmm. I had a little studio. I was still tattooing. I was still doing both jobs. And I would buy all my groceries at Trader Joe's, but I would stock up on baby carrots and mustard, not oh, wow. hummus, because uh-huh. hummus had calories. Yeah. And I was starving. So I knew I would overeat because when you're starving, you Have less can't control. control. Yeah. Oh. And it's all about control. So yeah, mustard's a negative. So you're fine. I, the, 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 I still talk about my, my, my wife didn't grow up in poverty the way I did. And so she cannot associate with like the poverty meals that Mm -hmm. I, that I, Mm -hmm. you know, the McDonald's, like everybody, I think people that grow up poor have their McDonald's order. Oh yeah. You know, from their childhood. Oh yeah. And it's the same. You can still go order that food, which is so creepy. 
you know, like I know you think the Sundays. Mm, I loved the Sundays <laughs> as a kid. Mine, mine was like when chicken nuggets arrived in the world, it was just like, Oh, oh this is incredible. Amazing. And yeah. it's a kid meal and you get a toy and then, then there's a play area. Yeah. I mean, it's a babysitter for parents. Yeah. This is still my, my, um, my wife is still, we, we go back and forth around like exposing Henry to these kind of mass yeah. produced foods. Yeah. And it's tricky because there's times where like we were on a road trip to Arizona in the middle of the pandemic and it was just impossible to really like get right food. Yeah. And we were, you know, we were, we're on like a nine hour road trip and it's like, where do you, where do we, and we stopped at this one place to go to the bathroom. And I think like uh, we got off the freeway to go to the bathroom and the only place that really made sense was McDonald's. I would say it's like Carl's Jr. Starbucks and McDonald's is what right. you pass when you're going through like no man's land. Right. Yeah. Right. And so we went to McDonald's and I, and we got her a, a hamburger and like a, like a kid's happy meal, hamburger, happy meal. And she ate it. She ate the whole thing. And it was like, we had this whole moment because this is the other thing with my daughter is that she does not have a voracious appetite for anything but chocolate. (laughs) I love that. At least she's getting magnesium. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So she loves, she loves chocolate and there's, but there's very rarely where she'll just kind of eat and eat and eat. Like she, she, she always pulls up. She never, she never really stuffs herself. Mm. And, um, see even that, like I feel sensitive. Having access to food. Like she knows that it's abundant. Yes. Which is amazing. Yeah. Like that is, it, it switches that because so eating disorders are so closely related to scarcity. And when scarcity is in one area, it's in all areas of your life. Mm -hmm. And one of the, and, and I learned this through my own battle with an eating disorder and not having resources and not having food available aside from frozen pretzels and hot pockets. Mm -hmm. And also when I started going through recovery, I started learning that everyone else is dealing with scarcity when it comes to eating disorders. And so when there's an abundance of food available, when she knows she can ask you guys and you're like, yeah, well, we have options. Mm -hmm. It's always here. Then that changes that game in your mind. I mean, I'm really optimistic. I'm optimistic that we're, we're creating an adventurous eater who like, who's able to kind of like try things that are unfamiliar. I, I, as a, as a child was the kid who was bringing a hamburger French fries to the Chinese restaurant eating under the table Mm. because I couldn't deal with, I mean, when you go through a divorce and you go through like, um, poverty and, and there's, there's a real, like the only thing I was in charge of as a kid was what I put in my mouth. Yeah. That's literally where it starts. The only thing you can control is the intake of anything. I can't, I mean, it's, can't control the split up. Exactly. Can't control. And so you can't control where they choose to eat. You can't. Yeah, no, it's, that is huge. That's huge. Well, and also there's this moment I think where, and I've seen this with lots of, I've seen this with other boys in my family who, let me try to find the right way to put this. The car is going where it's going and it's going to a place that you're not in charge of. You're not in control of. And then you say, I can't eat there. And they go, okay, fine. Like we'll swing through McDonald's for you. And then we'll go there. So now the car and everybody in it is, has, has, is, is doing a thing that's for you. And suddenly you become the center of what, of, of everybody's agenda just for a second, just for, or not a second, but just for a few minutes. And, and it's annoying and everybody's not happy about it, but still you exist. And I know that's like, that seems so insane that that's where we're drawing like validation and existence from is to say like, oh, well, if I got to, if I got to steer the car as a nine-year-old. Uh, and they and they bought me a, a, a cheeseburger, a hamburger, not cheeseburger. That's crazy. I would never have cheese on a burger when I was nine. <laughs> mm. 
Like literally. That's a foreign substance. Oh, three <laughs> ingredients. Things can have three ingredients. Yeah. If they have more than three ingredients, it's a mystery. Out of control. I had this whole moment. I was at um, Brian Spiesman's house and Jan Spiesman, a very nice woman. It's the height of the 80s. And she says, Patrick, do you want to stay for dinner? And I said, what are you guys having? And she said, we're having burritos. And I said, I'm allergic to burritos. Yeah. And she said, well, what? I know that well. Yeah. She's like, well, what part of the, I haven't made them yet. What, what part of the burrito are you allergic to? You're like the whole thing. Because I didn't know what. Bur- <laughs> Anything in a tortilla is an allergy response. I was such a milk toast kid. I just was like, I, I don't really understand burrito. When mm-hmm. you say that word, I don't really know what that means. Literally, it's a blanket you can put anything in. Yeah, but I, nobody explained right. that to me. Right, like, no, totally. We didn't have burritos at home. So, I mean, yeah. you know. What's a burrito? Yeah. Uh, well, I didn't want to say that. I just, so instead I went with, I'm allergic to burritos. And I really think, I, I think Jan might still be alive and I probably owe her a phone call. Not that she'll remember that event, but. Um, she might. <laughs> the time that kid was allergic to burritos. <laughs> you never know. I have spent, I've spent my, you know, I've spent my life kind of navigating, like talking my way out of things like that. Oh yeah. You I know? mean, I, li- I, I played that game so well. I mean, I didn't go to half of the things I got invited to because of oh, what, dealing with be food. There? Oh, well, there gosh. would be food there. And yeah. when you're totally deprived of nutrients, you can't control yourself. So you would, you would constrict yourself from the location. Huh? Basically an eating disorder will steal your whole life. It'll steal having relationships with mm-hmm. anybody, mm-hmm. um, intimately, or it's, it's basically a punishment, right? You're punishing yourself. You are withholding pleasure in any way. So travels out of the picture because what are you going to do about food when you're traveling? Relation- oh, yeah. Going to a pool party is out of the picture because, oh my gosh, you're going to be expending energy and you're going to be starving and there's probably going to be food there and you're not going to be able to stop yourself from eating all the chips. Mm. I mean, it just, it just is layered and layered and layered and quite terrible. Yeah. Hear, hearing that I have, um, y- you know, that this, cause I have all of these, like I have history and hangups on food and I have, I definitely have moments of disordered eating that I can identify. I can point out. And if I tell the story, you're like, oh yeah, that's disordered eating. Mm-hmm. Like, but I don't, I never, I don't think I ever got to a place where I would think about if that, I mean, cause like that story, like I understand everything you're saying. Mm-hmm. And I understand yeah. the idea of like not going to a place because you won't, there won't be anything to eat there. I'm trying to, I'm just trying to think if there was a time where I was like that kind of like out of, out of sync or whatever. Well, I think the burrito is a good example of exiting a state, right? Because you're like, I, this is, well, for you, it was probably unfamiliar to territory, but I've also exited spaces where I'm like, oh, food's coming out. I got to go. I just, I remember being like in my first job as a, as a, as a 20 year old, 19 year old in Los Angeles. And we go to lunch with everybody. And my boss at the time, he had had kidney stones. And so he had cut like everything out of his diet until he was eating just, uh, he would go to McDonald's. His McDonald's order was a um, McChicken sandwich, the, the, um, the grilled one. So no breading on it and, and the bun. And that's it. That's all. No, just dry. And he, no minerals no because nothing. of the stones. Yeah. And oh so, my gosh. And before that, he would keep uh, a little mini fridge next to his desk uh, full of uh, milk and Oreos. And he would sit while working and just eat milk and Oreos. And then his doctor, and then he had kidney stones and it was a nightmare. And so he stopped, he just cut everything. Oh my gosh. But so he gave me some cover because I had arrived as this kind of kid, you know, from middle America into Los Angeles and everybody around me is eating like a normal adult. I'm eating the, you know, like the, (laughs) we would go to El Torito 
which was a Mexican restaurant. And I would order fajitas, mm-hmm. uh, the chicken fajitas, and I would eat just the chicken and the tortillas. And I would always order a side of shredded cheese, mm. which was always so difficult to explain. There's my three ingredients, right? Mm-hmm. Like chicken, tortillas, Ch- and cheese, shredded yeah. cheese. And it was so difficult to explain to anybody, but at least I wasn't Mike because Mike was like- Oreos and milk. Yeah, he was eating like, I, he, would, he would, well, what was funny, you see, he'd order the same thing. And there became this of this evolution moment of like after working there for a couple of months and somebody had asked me like, what's your favorite meal? Patrick, you're such a plain eater. Like, what's your very favorite meal? And I'm like, oh, I went to this restaurant once and I had this, you know, New York strip steak and it had these like really incredible roasted potatoes and this like asparagus. And he's like, your favorite meal is meat and potatoes. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. And, but no, you don't understand. Like, you know, there's a jazz band and he's, and they're just like, no, that's that's so basic. You're so basic. And they didn't call it that back then, but it was just like, I think they called me milk toast back then. I was like, mm. you're so milk. That's so middle America, like white bread. You don't know anything. And I was like, I know stuff. And Do you have a favorite meal now? Oh gosh. I mean, yeah, maybe the yellow curry, uh, mm. at, at like, um, the Northern curry at, um, empty bowl. I think, I think that's, I could eat that any day of the week mm. and, yeah, I, okay. and I crave it regularly. And Henry loves it, which mm. also makes me very excited. Right. Yeah. Cause that's a really kind of complex meal. There's a lot of flavors. In right. It, and it's not, and you can't see it. You got to dig it out of the, out of the thing and like, and, and it's messy and it gets everywhere. And yeah. It's, it's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous, hot, buttery, lovely. Yeah. Which is know. a local noodle spot in town. It's so great. Um, and that's, and that's my, that's my goal is that, is that when she gets to college and somebody's like, what's your favorite meal? She says my dad's curry or mm-hmm. my dad's, mm-hmm. you know, tikka marsala or mm-hmm. my dad's panang curry, whatever. Like that, that there's something that I make that is her comfort food. I want to be the one who makes her comfort food. That's a goal. Yeah, that's cool. So I'm constantly trying to like create comfort food for her. That's not just base level chocolate. Well, and we, we're going through, we're going through the cycle right now where it's like, um, you know, there are certain things that are just surefire hits. And then there's other things where it's like, I mean, just this morning, just this morning, getting ready for school, she wanted, um, egg whites, fried egg whites. She's not into fried eggs anymore with yolks. So I yolks kind of creep me out sometimes too. I mean, they have like a weird smell and flavor, so I can totally relate. Sure. So, but we're trying to get enough protein into it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and so, so I crack two eggs and I separate the yolks and I put the yolks in a little cup to use for something else. And then I get out our, um, our giant heart cookie cutter and I use the egg whites to make, uh, uh or I make the cookie cutter. I make a heart shaped egg white fried egg whites. So it stands up a little bit. So you get a little more thickness on it. And then I give that to her with a slice of whole wheat bread with some, uh, strawberry jam on it. And I bring it out and I put it there and, uh, and she's like, I wanted a fairy bread and I'm like, fairy, fairy bread, which is Nutella mm. on a piece of whole wheat bread. Mm. But I'd use the last piece of whole wheat bread to make the jam toast. <laughs> So in what, a pickle. Yeah. So what we had in there was everything bread from Dave's Killer Bread. Yeah. Which, which is, is good. Super good, but it's seedy and savory mm-hmm. and like it's like an everything bagel, but it's a piece of bread. And she says, can you make, can you make that the fairy bread? And I said, yes. And so. It's going to be a little oniony. Yeah. So I put, I put Nutella on it and I cut the crust off. So it took some of the seeds away mm-hmm. and I brought it out to her and she said, that doesn't look right. <laughs> <laughs> So I love kids. Yeah. So I go back. So attention to detail. Yeah. So I go back in the kitchen and I make another fairy bread and now we're out of Nutella. I use the last of our Nutella to make the second piece of fairy bread that is now on an uncut, like on a piece of Dave's killer bread with just Nutella on it. Any parent out there right now will understand this entire fight I'm having. (laughs) And, and also we're like in the time crunch of like, we've got to get to school. Yeah. In five minutes. Yeah. I've got to get food in her so that we can get to school. So I, I bring this out to her and of course I've left everything else in front. Like, so, so now on her table in front of her is 
egg whites in the shape of a heart that's been cut up with with big, good molten salt on it, and a slice of whole wheat bread with this really beautiful organic strawberry jam, and then a crustless <laughs> uh, Dave's Killer Bread whole wheat Nutella slice, and now a full, un, a full crusted <laughs> slice of Nutella. Too. And is she waiting to eat anything until it's a complete for her? Until she sees the thing she wants to eat, right? Okay. <laughs> and so, so she comes and she sits at her at her table, and and I go to do the other fifteen things that I need to do, and my wife says, "Do you see what she's eating?" And I'm like, "The strawberry bread." The strawberry bread, and then, <laughs> she just needed her options in front of her. Apparently, you know, and I'm just like holding it all inside. Yeah, you just ha- you're just like, okay, well, you are five and a half, and you are experiencing life because we're not going to have a fight over food. Yeah, it's not worth it. I'm not going to challenge her on on. I'm not going to shame her. Right, and you you just literally showed her abundance. Yeah. Yeah. But also where's the line where you're like, okay, well now we're wasting food. That's, that's what I kind of question sometimes is like, this is abundant, but also, but, but, but she's little and she's, she probably has no idea what she wants. She just knows in that moment, I might want that, but oh wait, this is actually good. Well, and the thing is, is that there's a lot of times where I just, it's called taking a flyer. It's an old circus term. When you, would, will you, when you go, you don't get instruction to do it. You just do it. Mm-hmm. You're taking a risk. You mm-hmm. just, you're hoping that the, the person's on the other end of the trapeze to catch you. So uh, you, yeah. take a flyer. you just let go and maybe, and you, and you hopefully got it right. And so the egg and the jam, that was a flyer. And then cutting the, the crust off the toast, that was like, oh, I think an experience, like she doesn't, like, yeah. she doesn't typically like crescents, certainly with all the seeds on it. Like that's an extra thing. And all of these things are such like right now at five and a half, like we're in and out. If we try to hold ground on something, we could lock it in permanently mm-hmm. that this is like, right. You yeah. Know, I don't eat crust on anything, dad, you know, and it's like, right. Oh, Cause we had a battle over it. And so instead we're just like, Oh, if you didn't, we're just easy flowing easy flowing right and things go back in the fridge and they get saved for later and yeah they get reintroduced or one of you guys eat them that's a real struggle yeah totally totally f- yeah you could easily just eat everything your kid doesn't eat but our other struggle is is that there are ramifications too if she has too much sugar and too much chocolate right and you're sending her off to class well and she's just harder she's she's hard she's deregulated like she she falls out of regulation with with it's not and again it's like yeah we all would if you if you do a bump of cocaine you're oh, not gonna yeah. be well regulated Mm-mm. if you nope. do and you're also not going to be aware that you're unregulated. If you eat nothing but kale all day, just nothing but kale. Kidney stones. Well, you're going to, you're going to be deregulated. You're not going to be. Right. Yeah. You're not going to have brain power to like. Cope and function. And pause and chill out. Right. Like I had no idea I could be less triggered just eating food. Yeah. In the world. Yeah. (laughs) So it's very real. We work, we work to say no when it's appropriate to say no. And we, right. we work to also, but we also work to just be like, listen, I need you to have a bowel movement. Right. You and know? it's not a big deal. Just, yeah. just eat something. What do you want to eat? Like, we, let's just get this over with. We've got lots of options here in the yeah. house and like, let's work through them. And also, I mean, there's lots of stuff that we've just edited out. We're like, well, we're not going to stock that anymore. Right. Like, that's Which I think is fine. Cause yeah. there's so many options to have available. Yeah. Yeah. But there's also certain things where, where, um, like mac and cheese. People will, she'll eat mac and cheese at places and people will make her mac and cheese. And then when I try to make it for her, for whatever reason, it doesn't, it doesn't fly, hmm. which is fine. I, cause mm-hmm. I don't need mac and cheese to be like her go-to thing. Right. But like pork tenderloin, she's all about pork tenderloin. That's amazing. Yeah. She loves a pork tenderloin. Has she had pork belly? Um, I don't know if she has. I don't typically, again, it just goes back to this thing. I said to my mom one day, she was, she was hauling my nephews around and, and they were having this conversation around, they had talked her into going to McDonald's and it, and it had this like triggering flashback for me of like, oh, that's where 
you you've made them into me. You did the same thing to them that you did to me, which was like using the substitute, you know, like this thing of getting. And I said, you don't have to go to McDonald's. You could just like you guys could go to Safeway. You go across the street, go to the grocery store, like go, you know, you could do you could plan ahead. You could know that mm-hmm. when they get in the car, that they're going to be hungry in 30 minutes. So why don't we get some food in them before we go? You know, you can make a plan. Right. And she's like, well, sometimes, you know, there's just no chance to make a plan and blah, blah, blah. And 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 it's just there and it's so easy. And I said, have they ever eaten a Jack in the Box? Have you ever taken in the Jack in the Box? Knowing that she would never go to Jack in the Box. And she's like, no, I, I never go to Jack in the Box. And I'm like, so it does sound like it's a choice. You clearly, wow, yeah. you, you clearly have made a choice about where to go. Right. You know, like you, you, there are certain places that you're willing to forfeit. You're willing to let them eat the junk at McDonald's. Yeah. But you're not willing to let them eat the junk at Jack in the Box because you don't Which like has it. better breakfast in my opinion. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I just, the, the, and I, and I wasn't trying to shame or argue with my mom because I loved her, but I was, I was more realizing it for myself in that conversation. Right. Yeah. And what, what's the word I'm looking for? Like trained you yeah. to think the way you did about it. Food. My mom was an incredible cook and she had an incredible, she had those old world skills, right? She could mm, bake a chicken yeah. that was like, like you're like, that's an incredible chicken. She could make fried chicken that, that makes you weep. Mm, you just stand next I to love the fried chicken. Yeah. You stand next to the pan and every time she pulls a piece out, she puts it on the plate and, and you just eat it, burning your mouth off. My friend Josh and I would stand there just eating the wings as they came out. Mm. Just because we yeah. But when you apply a, you know, 10 hour work day and, and, yeah. and the innovation of, uh, you know, huge industrial foods from the eighties yeah. and it really affects, you know, the diet. Totally. And, I mean, I can't imagine being a single mom of multiple children working overtime and then cooking. And also how do you manage homework, play, after school activities? Oh shoot. Bedtime was an hour ago. Like, how, how do you do it? It's, how, it's just, it's almost, it's like impossible and people are doing it left and right. People are doing it and I applaud them and I, I am so inspired by them. Moms have the hardest job. For sure. For sure. But I don't, but I, you know, but at the same time, like I can recognize what that did to me. Mm-hmm. You recognize yeah. like, like how, how damaging it was to not understand food mm-hmm. because she didn't have time to, to explain it. And also yeah. there were the, def- the deficits in her own understanding of food. Right. I mean, that's like our parents were the children of people in the depression and they grew up being like, no, only one cookie, even though they had a tub that was going stale. Yeah. Like my grandma, I remember my mom would drop me off at my grandma's anytime I was sick. That's a whole other podcast episode. And my, my grandma would make ginger snap cookies that were terrible, but it was like the one thing I could eat as a snack. And that you were allowed to eat or that was presented you to you? You weren't really allowed to eat anything outside of mealtime at her house, but yeah. she would allow me a cookie, but only one because even though they're going stale, she lived through the depression. Yeah. You know, it's just like, wow. Like scarcity is just so prevalent. Yeah. <laughs> there's, I mean, I'm, I, I pause and, and, and it's not a cringe, but it's like a, it's definitely like there's some trauma Mm-hmm. You know, that, 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 that drums up that I'm, I'm thinking of my great grandmother's house who had the cookie drawer mm-hmm. and, and it was all about kind of distracting the adults long enough for one of us to get into the cookie drawer. And so I'm totally, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm interrogating that going like, Oh wait, yeah. Were we the, yeah, there was, she had these certain cookies. She had the chocolate covered grams or she had the, um, 
the round wheels, the wagon wheels with the yes, fudge with the stripes. stripes. Yeah. I know all about those. My grandma had those too. Yeah. And, and that was the like, nobody else ever had them. They were always just at a grandparent. Right. Yeah. <laughs> always. But there was this one drawer in the kitchen where those were at. And I remember it being kind of like a mission to try to get to those cookies mm-hmm. because of that same, exactly what you're describing. Like, like you could eat. You weren't allowed to have them. No. Otherwise it was no. just, it was off limits. Well, and then whatever meal was being presented was like. Uh, Disgusting. Like yeah. peas that Me- were cooked wrong. Meatloaf. Ex- oh God, meatloaf. I, <laughs> I can now, now that I make it. Right. I can, I can yeah. make my own meatloaf, but like. <laughs> nope. Can't have grandma's though. There was, I don't know. Maybe it was delicious. I don't know because I was in my own little. You were forced. Of, yeah. I, I think when you force someone to eat a certain thing on their plate or have the rule in the house that's like you have to clear your plate or else you can't leave the table like that's kind of insane yeah and and I understand people who have those mentalities are also people who probably don't have access to resources the same way so there's that it's so layered yeah. it's so layered we have our relationship with food right is this it's such a um it's a sophisticated relationship that we not pretend isn't but like we we don't put it in the I feel like the conversation that we have about our food is not, what am I looking for here? It's not as treacherous as it really is. Like the conversation doesn't highlight how complex and problematic our mm-hmm. relationship with food is. Yeah. And instead we gloss over things and we try to like muscle through them or, or we celebrate it in really like, like foodie culture and this conversation around foodie culture and the celebrity of chefs and the celebrity of different restaurants. And this idea of how we spend money on food and where we spend money on food is very, it's not related to the problematic struggles. It's, it's instead this, we're trying to just be really excited about it and, mm-hmm. and tell these like elaborate stories about like, oh, right. we went to Bell's up in Los Alamos and oh my God. And it was good, but we treat it like these are the markers of culture. Like we're putting culture into right. food. Um, but do you have the resources to go to that place and have exactly, that experience? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, going out to dinner to, in my, I have so much to say about this, especially because <laughs> I also worked in that industry, but. Oh, sure. Yeah. It's like, if you break it down, I think it's quite disgusting. Mm. It's like cooking a great meal for friends. Like I have great friends in this town who are chefs. Having a supper party or a restaurant where that is the heart of it, it's beautiful. But the culture of people going and expecting a certain level of service from someone who's not getting paid enough to give that service just blows my mind. We were in Serbia years ago, collaborator Katie McCarthy and I, and we were uh, wandering around Belgrade. We were there for an arts event and there was no place to eat out because they don't eat out there. Oh, they all cook. They all cook. Yeah. And so why would you pay for, why would you, you could get, you could get coffee. Yeah. That's like the basis of my explanation here is like, why are we going out? Yeah. It's like, it's like, what is that consumerism, capitalistic, like thinking? Well, and also somewhere along the line, there was a, the industry grew into it, right? Like, like, like there's a subsidized version of it that makes sense. So like, which is sharing cultures, which is beautiful. Well, so, so yeah, like exactly like old restaurant or like the the different models of restaurants would be like, uh, you know, like a family owned restaurant and all the people in the family work at that restaurant and, and the people who are populating it probably work nearby and, or know the family, know the family. Yeah. So that makes sense that you're making more food than your family needs and, and you're selling that food to other people. Great. That makes sense. Um, but then somewhere along the line, it's like diners and, and, you know, like when you think about the restaurants that our parents had access to going to, there were like high end steakhouses. There were maybe delis, maybe, mm-hmm. and there were diners. Right. And then, and then fast food arrived. Right. And then fast food became, you know, just smaller, like faster food. And, and it was subsidized by people who didn't need to necessarily make a living 
working at a fast food restaurant, high school kids. Right. Yeah. And so you've got kids that already have their housing paid for by their parents. They already have like, you know, and they're in high school, so they don't want full-time jobs. So they're giving them very, you know, part-time schedules. And that subsidized the entire fast food industry mm-hmm. is created by subsidized work from a population of people that, and this is that whole thing about like, well, you don't want to grow up and flip burgers. And it's like, you can't, it's not possible. Yeah. You can't, you can't survive. But I do want to know, so where'd you end up eating in Serbia? Oh, we didn't. <laughs> we, was there a market you could at least buy things at? And, and yeah, so that's but then what, you obviously have to place to cook it. We ended up at the farmer's market and we bought some really, uh, we bought some bread and some really elaborate smoked meats and some weird, Oh, um, lovely. And some weird, like, um, kind of like a feta cheese Oh, and some tomatoes. And nice. Then we That's went, a pretty complete yeah, it array. Feels, feels fine. And then we went to uh, we went to a park and we sliced it all up and, and ate it like that. Um, there were a couple parks that had cafes in them, but they typically they didn't have. They, was it like espresso? It was espresso, beer, and wine, and and then and they didn't. I'm trying to remember. They didn't have. There wasn't like you can get a sandwich. Right. They would occasionally have some pastries or some like small things. Ah. But it was like we. It took us. We were there for almost a week, and we just couldn't figure out the food. We were just like we don't yeah. understand. Like where does anybody eat here? <laughs> At their house. Yeah. At they their, cook elaborate meals at their house. They, 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 and they were all, and also, I don't know if you know, it's like Serbia is like everybody's seven feet tall and they're all gorgeous and they're all, see, this is back to this, like, you know, they're skinny and they're like, they look like basketball stars and supermodels mm. just everywhere you go. But, but also it's because, well, they don't have a high sugar diet. Mm-hmm. They don't have a, uh, you they know, probably walk everywhere. They walk everywhere. They have good public transportation, really right. incredible. And they're buses. cooking. They're cooking. They're cooking at home. They're being, you know, and there's somebody in the household who that is the priority of what they do. You know, there's a, you know, whereas versus us who like, we don't have time. We never have time to take care of ourselves. No, we eat out because, because we, we, because, and it goes and and because we can. And also a lot of us aren't cook, aren't taught to cook anymore, which is well, and sad. And then back to that, 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 that thing that I was saying to my mom about like, you knew you were going to be hungry. Like, what was the plan? Yeah. Yeah. It's like you left the house without a plan for food. Like, could right. you, like, could you imagine like going away from your food source? Like if you say your house is your food source, mm-hmm. like that's where your food is at. Mm-hmm. Your food does not exist in restaurants around town. Then you would just make the plan, like, be, right. like anticipate and not in that like overly controlling way. No. Just ask yourself the question before you leave, like, where am I going to eat in three hours? Yeah. For my future self. Because the future self is going to be hungry. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's actually a freedom that I've had in recovery Mm -hmm. is not stressing so much about finding food or getting food or having access to food. And granted, sometimes I only have access to like a bar that's in my car. But that was a really big moment of freedom to think about, okay, well, I'm going to go like today, I'm going to go record this podcast. So I have a bigger breakfast. Okay. Yeah. And then afterwards, I'm going to make sure lunch is priority. Great. Things like that. It's like you're th- I'm thinking about my future self when I'm either taking snacks, taking something to go or planning to grab something somewhere. Because you also know that the future self that didn't make that plan is going to make a bad decision. Oh, yeah. And that bad decision is either going to be skipping. Mm-hmm. Right, Most of the time it was. Yeah. Wow. Mine was always like, I know my bad decision is going to be, you know, a fast food. Yeah. See, I didn't. I would just not eat. And fast food, and here's the other, the struggle with fast food is the portion, the portion choice 
in fast food as as an as an adult male presenting person like you get the meal and they give you a meal and you've paid for it and i can't just throw away half of those french fries right and it's also i don't think it's as filling as whole foods that you were would either make or have someone prepare for you a different way no and it's and and now anymore i mean the price and so you're beating yourself up on price like this is my yeah my, my you know is thing of like and this was yesterday so mm. you, so yesterday it's fresh i'm here i'm here in the studio i'm working on this project i realized that I didn't plan lunch. I didn't make a good choice. The fridge in the studio doesn't have anything in it. I didn't bring anything with me. I didn't plan. So I hop on the bike and I run over to uh, KFC. Mm. And it's like, and and to the point where I gave myself that permission, like, mm-hmm. like, oh, you know what? You're just gonna, you're just gonna grunge it out. You're just gonna like go to KFC and get a fried chicken sandwich because nobody's looking and it's fine. Mm. There's no observation of you, so you can make this bad decision. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna ride by four really good taco places that I like, but I'm gonna go get this fried chicken sandwich. And I get there and I have it, and it's a, it's a. a story as old as time like Mm-hmm. There's nothing about it that was good. There was nothing about mm-hmm. it that was enjoyable. There's nothing. They like mayonnaise there and I don't like mayonnaise. <laughs> any, way you, any way you cut it, I was at least halfway through it and going, what am I doing? What is this? Like, mm-hmm. What is, why would I? And it all, it felt like disordered eating. It felt like I was. Yeah. Um, because recovery taught me that sometimes I have to eat like that and it's okay. I want to. Yes. I want. To, <sighs> I there's okay. so much pressure societally. Yeah for us to choose organic and healthy and whole and da 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 And that's kind of disorder. Like that is categorized under orthorexia, which is an eating disorder. It's a known eating disorder. Um, the pressure to eat perfectly healthy mm-hmm. and obsess over labels, obsess over oils and what's in it and all this stuff. And it's like, just let it go. Sometimes you just need calories and it's okay. And that's better than not having calories. I, that, so what you just described is something I experienced, uh, standing in the food court of a mall Mm, yeah, and like looking around, like there's nothing I can eat here. Mm. Like there's nothing that rises to the level of what you just, you know, those, those things you can tick off where you're like, it's all prepackaged. It's all just microwaved. It's Mm -hmm. all just junk. This is all just, this is all hollow calories that doesn't, and they're not even good. They're not even like, it's right. It's not not like satisfying. Right. And I think that's what I felt yesterday at KFC where I was just like, and I just realized I shouldn't name the restaurants, but I was like feeling this this frustration of like you're having a cheat meal and it's it's not even it's good. not even worth it right like, yeah like if you're gonna have a cheat meal like have have there be some some highlights i mean tacos are around here at least are like pretty like i feel like you can get a three dollar taco chelsea i have a, a taco map yeah that has like my 18 <laughs> favorite amazing. places to eat tacos like i'm i love tacos yeah i have like such a such an there's one of my the best things that ever happened was just down the street in front of the hardware store el pastorcito oh, the taco truck yeah el yeah. pastorcito started setting up their truck and i'm just right. like this is this is amazing this is going to solve all my problems <laughs> you're still going to kfc and also don't beat yourself up over it and also don't beat yourself up over yeah it. it's okay because next time you can pause and say, well, last time I wasn't satisfied with no, KFC, so no. I'm going to actually just walk a block and go get a yeah, taco. I appreciate that you think that. Um, <laughs> well, now you get to instill it and practice it. I think it's a practice. Yeah, it is. I think that that, that forgiven, forgiveness of self and not being so critical of self is, is hugely important. Huge. Hugely important. Huge. In all areas too, not just disordered eating. Yeah. Like also our interactions with people, our relationships, our conflicts, our joys, like compassion is key. And it's hard mm-hmm. and it's hard every single day to be compassionate with yourself and then also with everybody else around you. Totally. It's, it's a lot of energy. Thank you for being here. You can find me on Instagram and the web. Instagram is at this is hard to say with a period between each word. 
The website is www.thisishardtosay.me. My more personal and graphic design account is at Chelsea Willett underscore designs. Those will also be in the show notes below. If you want to support this project and podcast, there's a few ways to do so. You can head to my website, click the support button in the top right of the navigation, and that will lead you to how to help. You can also submit your own story anonymously, or you can share who you are. If this podcast spoke to you, it would be so appreciated to subscribe, leave a review, click some stars, and share it with your people. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.